Good morning, church. Today's scripture reading is John chapter 16, verse 32 and 33. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Amen. Thank you, Christina. As we get settled in here, go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 16. That's where we'll be together in, in God's word this morning. And uh, if you don't have a Bible and you would like one, uh, which we would encourage, would you hold your hand up high and keep it up and we will get one to you, okay? We want to make sure everyone has a, a Bible to follow along with. Y en español, si quiere la Biblia y no tiene, por favor, levante su mano y diga español. Y si no tiene una Biblia, eso es un regalo a usted. Uh, y um, esta, esta mañana estamos en um, Juan, capítulo 16. And um, so again, keep your hand up. And, uh, and, and if you don't own one, please keep this. It's our gift to you. Put your name in it, underline stuff, ask questions. Uh, God's word is meant to be interacted with. And, uh, and meant to shape us. Um, so, so let's go ahead and, and pray again as we get into his word together. Lord, this is your word. We pray that, Lord, before you, uh, the, 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 the thoughts of our minds and the words of our mouths, Lord, right now, the words of my mouth, would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And, and we trust, we Pray. I trust and pray that, that though the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of our God endures forever. That's what you tell us. That's your, you don't need any testimony of truth, but you give us your own word uh, and, and you speak for yourself. So Lord, we uh, find security and comfort and assurance in you. So we ask that in these moments together, uh, again, Lord, that you by your spirit will speak through me. Uh, Lord, I pray that you empower me. I pray that, that, that I will fade to back and that, and that we will see you uh, more clearly and that we will respond accordingly in faith, in trust, in worship. In Jesus' name, amen. What are some of the great questions of life? What are some of the great questions of our youth? Right, I'm sure a number come to mind. Right, we just talked about the youth and their great questions Jake shared with us. Um, one of them, I think, is probably one of the dominant questions of youth, but we uh, probably don't remember it. It's at least one of the most consistent. Are we there yet? Right, we all can relate with that question in, in different in different forms. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? When are we going to get there? I remember for me, uh, growing up in Southern California, in San Diego, El Cajon, um, we, we, my mom took us on a trip. And my mom usually would do this kind of out of the blue. And she'd say, we're going to go somewhere and uh, get in the car. We're going to leave tomorrow morning. You know, get, She wouldn't make us get in the car the night before. But she would say, get prepared, get packed up, get in the car. We're going. 
right? And we drove like a 1980-something, early 80s uh, Ford Fairmount. Definitely didn't have air conditioning, didn't run very well. My mom was a single mom, raised four boys. She was um, hardcore, adventurous. So this time, out of the blue, we're driving from Southern California to uh, Northern Oregon. And uh, so we're going over the grapevine, if you know this. Some of you know this route. And uh, we couldn't, couldn't imagine what we were setting out for. We didn't have much money. We slept at r- r- rest stops. Uh, my mom chased someone off who was knocking on our windows. Uh, she was, like I said, she was, she was tough. And uh, you can imagine, though, right? She painted the picture for us of Oregon, what we could expect. Pine trees, cooler temperatures. You know, we could run, we could swim in wild water and not be afraid of sharks, you know, in it and all this stuff that we just couldn't even wrap our minds around. And then imagine we're driving and all of a sudden we're in Bakersfield, right? And we're like looking around like, uh, I don't see pine trees. I don't see water. I don't see much. Um, you know, where are we going? Right. And we were still probably like a day and a half away. And so you can imagine our current circumstances caused us to wonder, um, to ask some questions, most pointedly, when are we going to get there? Our current circumstances are leading us to question the outcome you promised. And that's the same kind of scenario, what's going on with Jesus' followers. He's made all kinds of promises to them. He said, we're going somewhere. I'm taking you somewhere. Some events are up ahead and then right now, he's saying things to them that, that they, they struggle to connect the dots to how, that, how those two things connect, right? That's what they're basically asking when they ask the question here in John 16, when, when, Jesus, are we there yet? When are we going to get there? Okay, look with me, picking up together in uh, chapter 16 of John, verse 16. This is Jesus speaking, a little while... And you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean, a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Right, they're honest here. They're they're confused. And that's their question is, again, when are we going to get there? And Jesus says, in a little while. Right, what does that mean? What does that mean to a young kid, right, when you cast a vision of Disneyland or Oregon or the ocean or wherever, and you're looking around and you're in Quartzite, right, Yuma. We got some Yuma folks here with us this morning, right? You're looking around, you're like, this doesn't... Seem like what you told me. Understandably, Jesus' followers are confused. I want to give us all permission here as we read the Bible to ask questions and to admit um, sometimes even the author's intent is to bring out what is actually there. That sometimes in our kind of closed up, buttoned up, you know, Christian culture, we don't feel the, the, the fr- freedom to ask the hard questions. Well, the authors of Scripture don't, don't keep it so neat and clean. Right? They often ask God what's uh, at the top of their mind, at the depths of their heart. W- where are you? What do you mean right now? We're confused. And, and so they come honestly, and they, they talk to Jesus. Right, He draws it out of them, but they, they ultimately, yeah, 
when? And Jesus' answer to them is this. Don't focus so much on the when, but on the what. Did you hear me? When we're struggling, when we're walking through and we have questions, Jesus' answer, he doesn't dismiss us, he doesn't shame us, but he puts his hand under our chin and he lifts our gaze higher and he says, you're, you're focused right now on the when, let me help you set your gaze on the what. And that's what he does as he continues with me here, pick up in verse 20, Jesus again is speaking, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. So when Jesus sees our anguish, sees our frustration, sees our fears, sees our questions, right? He doesn't just dismiss them as we've talked about in weeks ahead before. He doesn't enter into them and enter into our frantic frenzy, but he, again, he lifts our, our gaze up and, and, and he speaks plainly and he says, you're gonna weep. Times are coming up ahead that are going to be really difficult. I don't want you to be caught off guard by them. I don't want you to be frantic and frenzied. I want you to know. Let me just, let's be honest here. Jesus is not a great attractional preacher. If you know that term, attractional preacher, is kind of bells and whistles, good stories. I want to tell you what you want to hear. Uh, that's been difficult over this last season, right? Last year and a half, it's like, well, if I tell you what you want to hear, these people want to hear the opposite, and then we go over here, and you, and, and as we've said, we're just going to gonna preach God's word, and we're going to trust that we're all going to be, uh, take comfort in knowing that we're going to be uncomfortable together, and, and we're taking our cues from Jesus, and we're preaching his word, and, and he says some uncomfortable things, and one of them is uh, not, hey, pray this simple prayer, and life's going to be a cakewalk. It's going to be easy. You're, you're going to have it made. It's all going to, all your ducks are going to be in a row. You can, you can have a little stick figure family on the back of your well, window, just like I do, if you say this prayer. It's going to be easy. No, Jesus says, you will weep. Times are coming when you're going to weep. And then what does Jesus do? Again, as a great preacher, like any man should do, he talks about childbirth. <laughs> right. Okay, um, Jesus, though fully God, fully man, is also fully God. So he knows what he's talking about here. Uh, I'm not about to do that. These are his words. I've been a part of a couple childbirths, so uh, I can attest that what he's saying here is true. But he goes on, right? He says, let me help you understand a little bit of what I'm talking about here. Let me tell you about childbirth. In verse 21, it says, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. Now, let me remind us, this is before epidurals and pain medicine and things along those lines. So he says, um, her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish. For joy that a human being has been born into the world, so also you have sorrow now. But I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Okay, this, this metaphor that Jesus is giving us, some of us can relate with it. Some of us have heard about this. What Jesus wants to hammer home here is this. There's a purpose to your pain. Okay, let me say that again, church. There's a purpose to your pain. Jesus doesn't dismiss it. 
He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't blow it up and, and, and make it everything. But he tells us there's a purpose. There's something coming on the other end. Focus on the what. Focus on the what is to come. When you're in the middle of the, the when, when times of difficulty come, when, when questions of when is this going to end are, are, are overwhelming and are, are crashing in on you from every side, lift up your gaze. Jesus is almost certainly aware of uh, and, and remembering right here Isaiah chapter 26 where the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, when he's talking to God's people about persecution and suffering, and, and they're wondering, what is the purpose of this? What, what's the point? Is this ever, when is this gonna end? He says, Lord, they came to you in their distress. When you disciplined them, they could barely whisper a prayer. As a pregnant woman about to give birth writhes and cries out in her pain, so were we in your presence, Lord. And then uh, down further in verse 19, he says, Let those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. They're in this place of wondering, what's the point? What's the purpose? This is hundreds of years, over 500 years before when Jesus is talking here right now. And, and, there's, and Jesus is, is, is remembering this. And he's saying, listen, it's, think of a woman giving birth. There's pain, but there's purpose for it because there's life on the other side. How do we feel right now? I want to submit to you, I want to call us out a little bit that we in our kind of mostly comfortable kind of walk with the Lord, our, 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 our Christian life, our experience in the church, we have a pretty weak theology of suffering. Some of us don't know what to do with it. Most of us don't know what to do with it. Pastor Marcus is such a gift to our congregation that from the first sermon he preached here and he shared his story and then in subsequent sermons and even in his pastoral prayer at the beginning of our services each week, he, he has helped shepherd us and lead us into looking more pointedly at the reality of pain and suffering. Because most of us in our culture do a terrible job at it uh, with ourselves with, with loved ones, with, with family members, with members of our community. We just want to send a text. We want to we wanna order a meal kind of from afar. I, I'm speaking myself here, okay? This is kind of confession. Um, it's so much easier. I don't want to come and see you and look at you and stumble through not knowing what to say about what you just experienced or you are Experience. Even as I prepared this sermon, and I and I and the m m metaphor that Jesus uses here of childbirth, I remember during the years and years of infertility that my wife and I walked through. I couldn't just hear this sermon and not go back to, "Will we ever get to understand what you're talking about, Jesus? Will we ever get to see biological children born and?" understand what you mean here by the pain and the anguish and the struggle and then the joy of that first cry. Even that, I want to shepherd us and remind us that, that God's invitation to us is, is that he sees your pain. He sees your frustration. He sees your struggle. And when we ask the question, and we're invited to ask the question, when? 
When is you fill in the blank? When is this going to end? When are you going to make good on your promises? He says, I see your when, and I see when you're struggling, and I'm lifting your gaze to what I have in store for you. And the clearest place we have to look at this is the cross. At the cross of Jesus, we see suffering. We see pain. We see honesty. Jesus, hanging on the cross, asks his father, why have you forsaken me? Hours before that, when Jesus was in the garden praying, anguish, sweating blood, he said, Father, if there's any other way, let it be so. If there's any other way for you to bring about what you are going to do, will you do it some other way? But it's not my will, but your will. And then again, hours after that, Naked, abused, abandoned, ashamed, suffering. Jesus hung on the cross and he cried out to his father, why have you forsaken me? And he did that for you and for me. Outside of the cross, outside of what came after the cross, Jesus risen from the dead, outside of the Holy Spirit whom Jesus would send to open our eyes and to soften our hearts and to enliven us to the reality of this good news, then suffering doesn't make sense. Understandably, to Jesus' followers right here, they're still confused. They're like, okay, you're still talking in metaphors, and then Jesus goes on and explains. They're like, okay, we get that. Now that you're not speaking in metaphors, we don't get it. But the fact that they all leave him and abandon him at the end in the last hour shows us they didn't fully understand. Because church, again, I want to remind us, outside of, hear me right now, outside of the cross of Jesus, no one can fully make sense of suffering. In philosophy at the University of Arizona, that's a great, that's one, that's the question. The problem of pain, the problem of suffering. Probably thousands of students over the years have written papers on it and quoted different people. And I will tell you, I believe that outside of the cross, it makes no sense. It can't. But when we look at the cross of Jesus, we see the point. Through suffering, comes life. In order to put death and suffering to death, Jesus had to look at it face on and to take it on himself. Jesus had to experience being forsaken by the Father in order for you and I to be accepted. And then when Jesus rose from the dead and brought in new life and Jesus uh, came up and he has the hole still in his wrists and, 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 the, and, the, and his flesh on his sides was torn apart and he, he wears them as signs of victory because he suffered so that you and I never have to fully suffer. So that the power of death and suffering and shame and abandonment and unreconciliation never really has authority over our lives. Though we will experience it, as Jesus says, you will weep. There's a purpose for it. And so Jesus says, come and die with me. Again, he's not a good attractional preacher, but he's good. He knows what we need. 
He knows that we need to die to ourselves. We need to die to the way of life that we have been sold around us. It says, do this and you'll get life. Take this pill and you can extend your life a little longer. Use this little product in a bone bottle and you can pretend you're not getting older. Right? Use, use this, do this, and, 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 and then it ultimately comes crashing in. It never fails to fail. It overpromises and underdelivers. But Jesus says, lay down your life. Give it to me. Bring it all. Lay it all down. And I'll give you everything in return. Jesus invites us into his death. And then he gives us everything on the other side. In this last section here, we see that Jesus gives us four things. He gives us, I think we have a slide here for us to help break it down. Jesus gives us his access and favor. Jesus gives us his ability to endure. Jesus gives us his peace. And ultimately, when we come and die and lay our lives down by surrendering to Christ, ultimately, Jesus gives us his victory. And look with me here in John chapter 16, verses 23 through 24. Jesus says, in that day, Right after Jesus dies, after Jesus raised from the, raises from the dead. He says, when you give your life to me in that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Jesus says, listen, right now, your only access to God it's through me. The fact that I'm with you in, in, in presence, in, in physical reality, is your only access to God. But Jesus says, when I die, and then when I raise from the dead, and then when I send my Holy Spirit to not just be next to you, but in you, the Spirit of God dwelling in you, he says, you will have the same access to the Father that I have. Let me ask you, do you and I go about our everyday lives as though we have direct access to God the Father, the same access that, that, that Jesus himself has? I admit, even though I confess it and say it, so often I don't live like it. Church, hear me. Do you and I understand that the Father delights in hearing from you? He loves to answer our prayers. He loves to hear from his children when we ask silly things that won't bring about good, right? He informs them, he, 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 he shapes them, but he doesn't scoff at us. He doesn't turn us away. In, in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus is preaching, Jesus says, listen, what kind of father, if his kid asked him for a fish, would give him a snake, what kind of father, if his kid asked him for a loaf of bread, would give him a rock? Like, okay, we can answer that, a mean one, right? Uh, like a not very nice father would play that kind of a trick on his kid, right? Be like, oh, yeah, here you go. And the kid breaks, breaks his teeth, right, on trying to bite a rock that you think is bread, right? Gets bit by a snake. It's like, yeah, that's foolish. He says, if you who are evil, you're not that kind of parents. If you who are evil give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your Father in heaven, who's given you everything, ultimately has given us his son, how much more will he delight to give to those who ask in Jesus' name? 
Jesus gives us his access, his privileges, and Jesus also gives us his ability to endure. Skip down and look at verse 32 with me. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Again, Jesus is saying, like he did at the beginning, you're going you're gonna to suffer, suffer. You're going to be tempted to run away and to flee. You're going you're gonna to be, 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 be tempted to think, I've left you. But again, Jesus, enduring the cross and then ultimately defeating it and raising from the dead, gives you and me the ability to endure that which we could never endure on our own. Let me encourage you, whatever you're going through, whatever you have gone through, and I think the most appropriate time for us to talk about this now, whatever you and I will go through, none of us in this room knows what the next second holds. Outside of Christ, that should terrify us. But because of Christ, because we know the end of the story, because he endured the cross and came out alive, victorious on the other side, you and I can endure. What comes to mind for you when you hear the verse, if you've ever thought of this, Philippians 4.13. I can tell you what comes to mind for me. I see some different athletes in here. Man, I scribbled that on every sport I played, every pair of cleats, every track spikes. I couldn't really get it on a wrestling singlet or a swimming speedo, but right, I would have tried. Like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I thought about that as I walked back to the dugout after striking out or after I right, fumbled the ball or lost the game for us or got pinned or Whatever it is, almost drowned in the pool the one year I tried to swim. Whatever it is, like what? I thought like, hear me, that kind of promise is not a magic formula for us to get what we want to get. It's a life-shaping foundational reality. I can do all things is actually in the context I can endure all things. It's not talking about eating another opponent who probably has the same verse written on his or her spikes and, you know, make sense of that one. Who does God like more? You know, no, it's, it's in the context of suffering. I can endure all things. Though I will face trials, though I will weep, though I will suffer, no matter what I face in the next moment, because of Christ, because Christ endured, because Christ took on everything that is bad and broken in the world around us and then defeated it by the Holy Spirit whom he sent, I can, we can endure all things. We shall overcome. Amen. And then Jesus also gives us his peace. He says in verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. That word peace in the Hebrew culture, the Hebrew language, the Jewish people means everything. Shalom. Right? If you go to Israel today, the common greeting, the common goodbye is shalom. 
It's, it's a full, all of life shaping, comprehensive kind of peace. And Jesus says, I give that to you. In the middle of suffering, in the middle of pain, in the middle of your questions, in your not knowing what's to come, I give you my peace, Jesus says. In the first century, even the author here, John, almost certainly by the time he wrote this, would have had close friends. Think if you're here with someone else, a friend, a family member, imagine seeing one of them devoured by wild animals for other people's entertainment. When John talks about the peace of Christ that he gives us, he's likely remembering seeing loved ones persecuted, crucified, burned alive, devoured by animals for Rome's entertainment. Here's the crazy thing. When you read about that kind of persecution, what those people did in the moment, again, empowered by the gospel, empowered by seeing Jesus risen from the dead, empowered by the Holy Spirit whom he sent, they had a peace that surpassed all understanding. People sitting there on their knees about to be killed, persecuted, with their arms raised to heaven, praising God with an unnerving, unsettling kind of peace. But in many cases, an evangelistically effective peace. That Rome, people that were yelling and crying out, throwing things, devour them, kill them. Let me just pause for a brief second here. This is a little uncomfortable here. I think when we face whatever kind of persecution we think we are facing or can conjure up or, or, or are actually experiencing, maybe we should go here to the scriptures and take our, our cues from, from his word and from Jesus himself and especially through thousands of years of his followers who had a kind of power that's even greater than whatever other kind of power we think we need to have when we face opposition. This kind of power that enables you and empowers you to, to, to ultimately die and to suffer, but with peace. Not focusing on the when, but on the what. Because ultimately, Jesus not only gives us his peace, he gives us and promises us his victory. Jesus says, take heart. I have overcome the world. In the world, in this world, you will have tribulation. Did Jesus stutter? You can laugh at that. No, he did not. Again, he loves us too much and to try to pretend it's all going to be a cakewalk. You will have tribulation, but take heart. Rise up, O Christian. I have overcome the world. And Jesus' invitation to you and me is because he has overcome the world, you and I have overcome the world. His victory is your and my victory. What do we do in the face of tribulation and suffering and trials? As always, we look to Jesus. We remember that he sees us when we are suffering, but he calls us not to focus on the when, but to focus on the what. What is on the other side of this? Joy, peace, hope, victory. And in a moment here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, and then we're going to respond. But before I do, in a moment, I'm going um, to dismiss the parents. But before you go, with all of us in here, I want to help us connect some dots here. Right? Every week when we respond in singing, in giving, in prayer, in communion, 
Again, I talked about the early church in Rome. They were, they were um, in many cases, killed and imprisoned and persecuted because they were, they were accused of cannibalism. <laughs> because when they went up and took communion, they ate of the bread that is the broken body of Jesus. And they drank the wine or the juice that is the spilled blood of Jesus. It was offensive and crazy to the world around them. What, what are you thinking? But again, outside of understanding what Jesus has done, it doesn't make sense. It's become a little too normal for us. What we're doing right here is we're celebrating suffering. We're, we're remembering death, but only because there is victory through that death. So when we take communion today and every time we gather together, as Jesus told us to do, let's do the work of remembering what we're doing. And today, we're going to celebrate baptisms. Oh, it is fun. It is joy-filled. It is celebratory. It's communal. It's purposeful. And it is a gift from God. It is a reminder to us. Look, again, outside of Jesus, it's crazy. All right, what we're doing right here is we're basically showing you that, 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 that half of the equation would be drowning, would be death. This is connected to every other covenant in the, in the Old Testament scriptures, this idea of an oath of malaffliction. It's this idea that, that listen, outside of, 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 of what is true, outside of God intervening, um, there would only be suffering. Outside of Jesus raising from the dead, there would only be this part of baptism and then staying there. But don't worry, those of you who are going to be baptized, it's not long because we know, right, what's on the other side of Jesus' death, amen? He victoriously rose from the dead. And so when someone is baptized, they are baptized into the death of Jesus. You are now dead, dead to sin, dead to life under your own power, Sin and struggle and pain no longer rules and reigns over you. You are dead to sin and raised again to new life through faith in Jesus. So let me go ahead and uh, let the parents please go um, and get the kids, get your kids. Um, and so the kids, all the kids and the child care workers can come back in here and can join us as we celebrate. And now let me go ahead and pray. And then... Uh, we will uh, go into our time of response together. Again, Father, we come before you right now, individually and corporately. You are good. You know all things. You have brought life through death. Lord Jesus, I pray that by your spirit, you empower every one of us in this room or to, to cast our gaze on you when we're suffering. As Pastor Marcus prayed earlier, I again pray, I'm sure every one of us in here, either ourselves or someone we love, is suffering in some way. Lord Jesus, thank you for seeing our suffering, for knowing it intimately and personally, and ultimately for dealing with it by suffering yourself. Thank you for the victory, the hope, the life, the restoration of all things where you will wipe away every tear, where death will be no more. 
Lord Jesus, I pray that you empower us to be a people who focus on the what even while we are in the middle of the when. In your name we pray, amen.